James Bond has left active service and is enjoying a tranquil life in Jamaica, but when his old friend Felix Slider from the CIA asks for help, he finds himself facing off against a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. Making its premiere a year ago today as we record this in London on the 28th of September 2021 and opening two days later in the UK on the 30th and a whole week later in the USA on the 8th of October, No Time to Die is the 25th James Bond film and cost $243 million to make, bringing in $774 million at the worldwide box office. Starring Daniel Craig, directed by Kerry Fukunaga, the vital statistics are Conquest 1, Martinis 1, Kills, wait for it, 66, on James 1. And I'm going to say 2 if you count Madeline's line at the end of the film. Last year, yeah. Variety said, Daniel Craig's Bond gets the send-off he deserves in the series' best entry since Casino Royale. It is unabashedly conventional Bond film that has been made with high finesse and just the right touch of soul, as well as enough sleek surprise to keep you on the edge of your seat. So to discuss No Time to Die, one year later, I am delighted to be joined by Ben Eslinger, Natalie Behensky, and Ben Williams. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hello, I'm Ben Esslinger. I'm an editor for TV and film, and I also run what some may call an irreverent podcast about spy movies and secret agent pop culture called Central Intelligence Center. Hello, I'm Natalie Bohensky. I have a slight head cold if I sound extra husky today. I'm in Australia. I have a podcast called Raven On, which is uh, primarily a Game of Thrones and now House of the Dragon podcast, but is kind of more a uh, pop culture podcast broadly. And as part of that, we did a James Bond retrospective through uh, lockdown in 2020. And I'm a lifelong massive James Bond stan. Hi there. Um, my name is Ben Williams. And I write for MI6HQ.com and MI6 Confidential Magazine. And um, I, I don't profess to be an expert, but um, <laughs> I do know a lot about James Bond. So we would like to kick these things off with the one with. This is a good one for this one. So what's the motif you could hang your hat on for this film? If you imagine the poster, what would you put on it? How would you describe this film to a casual moviegoer? No time to die. It's the one with... Uh, I mean, how spoilery are we able to be with we this? We can po- go for it. Just go for it. Because <laughs> aren't you encouraging people to get out and see the film? What if they haven't? They've already seen it. If they haven't already seen it and they're listening to this, where have you been for you? <laughs> okay, all right then. It's the one where James Bond dies. <laughs> it's the one where they killed James Bond. Oh, I stepped out. Uh, just to get some popcorn at one point. <laughs> is that what happened? He just wasn't in it for the rest of the movie. I, I thought I just missed him. Can Wait, I t- what? <laughs> Can I tell you the circumstances in which I watched this film? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I guess so, yes. My partner uh, lives in a separate state to me and uh, knows what a big, uh, due to work purposes, knows what a massive fan I am. He arranged for me to see the film with friends in a private cinema. So he booked the cinema and then it was 20 people I got to invite and we all, you know, got to watch it in gold class, which is, you know, the fancy cinema with the reclining seats and food service and all that sort of stuff. Um, So it was great. It was a lovely birthday present. And at the end of the film, I stood up because everyone there was my friends and I yelled at the screen, you can't kill James Bond! (laughs) And everyone laughed. (laughs) I was going to say, what was the take of the other 19 people? Uh, I think people all just wanted to know my take because they know how much of a fan I am. Everyone was kind of looking, going like, what the hell? But um, my fellow podcaster, Stuart Late from uh, from Raven On, was also somewhat shocked. And we did a very mini brief podcast in the car park afterwards <laughs> just to kind of get out all of our feelings. 
um, yeah, this this one that that you know it was one of those things where like I should have seen it coming before it happened. Like it was being telegraphed a lot further back into the movie, I think, than than I realized, and mm-hmm. I just didn't because you don't kill James Bond, and to the point where it, I think it was when he was climbing up the ladder to the roof that I went, oh wait, oh wait, you know. <laughs> What did you do? What did you do for six weeks, Natalie? Because it didn't come out in Australia until like November the eleventh, right? That's right. Yeah, I. So, I, um, did you just switch everything electronic off for five weeks? Pretty much. Do you know what? I think that people did a pretty good because I remember you guys were off to see it at premieres and all sorts of things, and uh, you were, you were posting. I just didn't click on reviews. I didn't read. Oh, I tell a lie. I read one of my friends, Tom Selinski, who's an excellent writer based in London, and he is a huge James Bond fan, and he posted. Um, a review and I started reading it and then he said something something Felix Leiter died and I went oh no and clicked off so that was the thing that I had spoiled having said that by the time I got to the movie I'd kind of forgotten I have a very terrible goldfish memory so I'd kind of forgotten (laughs) it was only only when things started to go wrong on that ship that I went oh hang on a second that's right what did Tom write so because I'd had that spoiler I think maybe that and I shut down. I just didn't consume, like I didn't read right. your reviews and see your stuff until afterwards because I knew it was quite a wait. So I was I was able to to manage um, not getting it spoiled for me, but uh, it, it didn't take away the rage, uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the anger. <Right. laughs> Natalie, um, I I can tell you that you were on my mind during that um, that period because I I don't know how. Uh, how you could have avoided like a spoiler really so i and, and the tension must have been um very great so uh yeah congratulations yeah, on yeah, I, I must have blocked it out just a sheer force of will mm. uh, because we'd been waiting so long for the damn film because of lockdowns and pandemics and and so forth that mm-hmm. i just went well what's another what's another month you know to 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 see it so i yeah i was i'm quite surprised in hindsight that it i didn't have it spoiled for me I, but i don't think anybody else who was there i think everyone was quite surprised um mm. so clearly all of australia went into sticky fingers in the ears and go la 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 not listening <laughs> so it's interesting you should pick it's the one with where bond dies um of all the I mean, things that you could have picked but to be fair, he's never done that before. No, I know. I'm being sarcastic. I mean, oh, it's right. like literally, <laughs> is there anything else? You know, it's the one where he peels an apple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking of a minimalist poster, Natalie, right? It's, it's, it's just, the one where the security guard forgot his name. And it's just an apple core, right, hanging there, like almost like a, um, you know, just like you could, it's like a three-dimensional thing and it's just hanging there and that's the apple core and then that's the, the poster for the bomb movie when did he when did he when did he peel an apple core <laughs> well he, the day he peels an apple for his spoiler um daughter right oh yes yeah. well that's probably the other thing that you would say isn't it that you that well let's let's see ben's what would you say for the one oh, with sorry sorry <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Ben and I, I share a consciousness. Uh, <laughs> no, you go ahead, Ben. Okay. Um, well, I was going to actually say <laughs> it's the one where Q gets cock blocked out of his date by James Bond. I mean, 
<laughs> that's what this movie's about. <laughs> um, but to to genuinely build on that, it's the most personal slash character buildy James Bond has ever gotten, mm-hmm. and it feels the most primetime soap opera y that the franchise has ever been. Um, and for that reason, um, it kind of feels the least James Bondy James Bond movie. Um, just because instead of a mission, it's all about what James is, James Bond is going through emotionally. It, it almost feels like every, like it's just him reacting to everything as opposed to him doing things, even though he's doing things through the whole movie, it just, it, it's more about how he is reacting to everything. And, and you get these weird interpersonal moments you know, where we're at Q's house and he's about to have a date and, <laughs> and they spoil that. And then you've got, you know, the personal moment, uh, you've got the person, these personal moments between bond and Felix, uh, when they're playing the game and that sort of thing. And then you've got these, the personal moment with, um, with M where they're on the phone and, and he's like, I can't believe that you've you know, that you kept that, that program going and, and it all feels very almost like a soap opera because we're, we're catching up to these, these weird little side things that you didn't know happened, but it, it doesn't feel like a mission or, or, a you know, like an actual plot that you would normally get in a James Bond movie. Um, so everything, all there's, there actually is a lot of good action and, and, James Bondy stuff in this movie, but it almost feels secondary to his emotions. Yeah. I remember when the um, clip came out of the interrogation scene of Blofeld and, you know, uh, Madeline's there and Nomi's there and Bond's there and Tanner's there and M's there. It's like, and Blofeld's there. It's like, none of these characters like each other at this point. Like they all don't like each other. And there's a lot of negativity in the interpersonal Mm. relationships until the end. And I think it's, yeah, perhaps a bit, over, overdone. Yeah, what was it? Did, who coined that phrase? Was it Calvin or Mark O'Connell, the, the, the MI6? Scooby Doo uh, Gang. Yeah, the Scooby Doo Gang. And <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really prominent in this, isn't it? It's really, it really feels kind of, yeah, like, it, We'll take the thing the fans didn't like from Spectre, which was the Scooby-Doo gang, and Mm. we're going to do more Scooby-Doo gang. Well, uh, yeah, that is what they did. Um, So I guess to my mind, it's one of the the more liminal um, spaced kind of bomb movies in that it it really, it reminds me a lot of that sort of Diamonds Are Forever dream logic where you suddenly just find yourself places and um, nothing really kind of makes sense. And sometimes stylistically it jogs around and does weird stuff. And, you know, what's actually the plot, you know, how does the bad guy benefit? And is this biotechnology? Is is it a virus or is it, you know, a, a, a programmable robot thing, you know, nanobot? It, it's all just bonkers. And beautifully put together, really shiny, lovely, bonkers stuff, um, and that's that's what I I I think it really is. Um, I've never seen a bomb film really that kind of 
it even tampers with its own sort of um you know internal logic and and also bringing in themes from other bonds you know like let's just have timothy dalton's car there and let's just you know put put the lazenby theme in here and it's it it feels sort of arbitrary in some senses but in, in other ways it all really kind of comes together and just works it, it it feels a little bit would you agree it feels a bit like an ai machine learning make oh me a james God, bond that's movie a really good that's such a good way of um, <laughs> describing it yeah. yeah uh but it does a good and it's actually you know some of those ai artworks are pretty impressive and you know i i i actually really like this film so but is yeah. it a kind of cohesive spy movie or thriller um i mean yeah i agree with i, I agree with you ben that it is a very emotionally driven film and character driven film but even within that some of that stuff just seems um surrealistic and yeah I, I, that's kind of become more why i like it now because it is mm. a bit weird <laughs> so how would you boil that down to your one with yeah, well, I think I think we'll have to just go with the apple peel and um, okay. leave it. <laughs> I will throw in it's the one with two 007s. Oh, yes. Oh, very good. Oh, yeah. which, which was the huge controversy when this film was in pre-production. How dare they have a new 007? Of course. And, and how quickly that fell down the thing, list of things people complained about. <laughs> I, I never got the I, I never got the controversy about that because it's like well clearly it it was, it was the tabloids mixing up James Bond and 007 being the same thing. Yeah, that's right. It's just it's a code name, and if he retires, like you could see Don't that say code, code name on this podcast. Jesus Christ, now. <laughs> <laughs> I missed something there. Oh, is that is that the theory that it's just a code the, name? Yeah. yeah. Okay. No. That I, aside. That aside. Like. You can't tell, like, they, it's not like they can get up to, oh, this is 004,024. Like, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's how many we've gone through. Yeah, that's how many. It's a very short-term job. Your your lifespan in the job is about seven minutes. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it's like, it's just not watch as cool. That, watch that step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your, your ankles are terrible. <laughs> 004,072. Get in the mood. <laughs> I do. There's something charming about the idea that it's like MI5 runs out of MI6 runs out of spies and just has to recruit uh, whoever comes in. You get someone like me limping and going, I'm quite happy to be a spy. It, it would be George Lazenby leaning up against I've been a secret agent before. Check my references in Hong Kong. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right one yeah. cocktail all right so this leads into i think what you were saying ben about it basically the internal logic of a bond movie is kind of contorted in this so let's see how we get on with this so here are the standard ingredients that people will usually break a bond film down into and you can pick one to talk about and you can it can either be a good or a bad thing or both so we've got teaser titles plot women villains allies bond action locations dialogue or style who wants to pick one of those out for no time to know. I got one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say uh, the villains. Um, 
And unfortunately, this is a negative for me. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was really hoping you were going to say that. Because uh, <laughs> however well they might have been played or not well played, um, it they just, the villains do not make sense to me. Um, you've got Blofeld and Spectre that are cast aside so easily and conveniently to sort of wasting whatever importance they tried to create from the last movie and and this is supposed to be specter this is supposed to be the the end all be all of criminal organizations or or whatnot i mean would they would they really all be at a 60s batman style party in cuba (laughs) (laughs) all of them every last one of them you know like the the johnny english logic is that there's like a mr bean-esque specter agent somewhere who didn't go to the party who is now number one right (laughs) So why would, you know, why would uh, they have Bond kill Blofeld on accident, um, just sort of reducing him to essentially a plot device to, right. to push along what's, what's happening? And then, uh, I mean, because he's literally there to do two things. He's kind of, well, mind-fucking Bond and then dying to move the plot along. And then... Uh, uh, and, and, and one of them is not standing up. <laughs> my- <laughs> Yeah, and then Safin, on the other hand, avenges his parents' murder within the first two thirds of the movie, and and after that, I'm I'm not entirely sure what his motivation is for going after. I'm, I'm not sure he was either. Yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. Um, even on repeated viewings, there's and there there doesn't appear to be any um, benefit to him really in in his whatever his scheme is. And what his scheme is isn't even actually clearly defined. And and then why does he even let Matilda go if if you know getting them is so important? Why does he let Matilda go after she bites his hand? Like is biting his hand just the the unlock for <laughs> getting away from her? <laughs> like it just uh, I hate to say children it. To touch with Jesus. <laughs> it just, I hate to say it, but it feels like he's basically there to get the ending that Daniel Craig wanted. Yeah. That's yeah. what it feels like. You know what it reminded me of? The, the missed opportunity was when they were doing the draft for the Spy Love Me and, you know, Broccoli found, realized that he couldn't use Spectre anymore. So I forget who did one of the 17 versions of that screenplay where they're basically, the, the film opens with Spectre, somebody, and then this terrorist group, you know, jumps the party, kills everybody and says, you know, we, we're not here to be organized criminals. We just want to see the world burn down. And that was a more dangerous threat than an organized crime syndicate. They could have gone that angle with this because, you know, an, an, an enemy that's only con- concerned about just seeing the world burn is the angle they could have gone in and destroyed Spectre and kind of reused that idea from the spy lobby. But instead they kind of halfway go there and then all of a sudden he's got like, he wants to sell it. What's he going to do with the money when everyone's dead? I mean. Yeah. And yeah, none of it really makes sense. Not even about how this stuff is distributed. Like why the, do they the need- nanobots? But you need like five hundred foot long tankers to move yeah, them around. Like it, you right. could you could distribute it in a vial the size of a thimble, right? Because it just right. self perpetuate or whatever it is, you know. It just it, and it can't die. So you know why why do you need three tankers for it? Also, nanobots is inherently a comedy word. 
It is. Yes. It is. But it's such a it's such a comedy word that you've got James Bond going, oh no, it's nanobots. Uh, yep, the nanobots are back. It's just yeah. It, it's I know it's real technology or well, real potential technology. Uh, it's just too humorous for me. I'd I'd rather like a made up virus, actual virus. Yes. Well, yes. This is this is one of my big. Well, just before we, before we get into that, I want to mention mm. one more thing about the villains that Ben brought up, which was Primo, um, you know, guy with cybernetic eyeball, um, mm. was only supposed to be in the pre-titles originally. And then they decided to keep him on for the rest of the movie and kind of like work his part into the rest of the film. It's like, what would the other henchmen have been oh, later yeah. in the film had they not changed that while shooting? Um, like it would have been even weaker. It would have been even weaker. Yeah. What about an entirely um, normal-looking henchman uh, who was of average height, average build, <laughs> maybe even a little bit tubby, uh, slightly balding, <laughs> but, like, no cool prosthetic eye or no cool weird teeth or, you know, what about a henchman who was just the most boring, you know, because hen- Safin's got the full ah, the full villain. Good to see you, Mr. Bland. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And just James Bond, and but that's his deadly weapon because everyone just forgets about him, so he can go anywhere. He's like the silence in Doctor Who. Like, <laughs> you instantly forget him. Like I had a conversation with him about something traffic yeah. jams. Yeah. Traffic. Yeah. Um, something about nanobots, was it? <laughs> anyway, let's. Um, where, where were we on this? We're on villains. Villains. So, would you like to pick something else, Ben? Oh, um, I wanted to say um, for me in the cocktail, it's I, I think the the teaser is uh, you know the, the pre titles is amazing. Um, yeah, that is true. It's yeah. just that whole particularly particularly um, Safin and Madeline's introduction. I I think that was just really beautifully executed. Um, yeah, loved. I loved all the camera work. I loved um, just the whole tone and feel of it. It was, it was wonderfully done, and I do also really appreciate the way that they kind of match cutted it into, um, you know, the the Italian Matera uh, section. Right. And, um, but but specifically, I think that first couple of minutes is is something very unique in the in the bomb franchise and it's really far more a, a, a kind of mumblecore horror thing than it is uh a, you know a multi-million dollar bond thing i have a question though how come if if safin you know uh, uh targeted matilda i'm uh, sorry it's not matilda it's 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 madeline yeah uh, when she was a girl how come like they they look like they're the same age later in the movie i don't think it's really it dressed it's sort of super weird it's just one of those like this is why this film doesn't even obey its own rules right yeah. well they did makeup tests showing rami malik as an older saffin with gray hair and more wrinkles and they they, they walked it back and didn't use really? it really ah. well i wonder i wonder what would they have done if they had taken that element and used it with madeline and uh her daughter so mm. rather than being in madeline's past it's something that happens in madeline's 
I know they had to have it that way because that justified the Mr. Mm. White stuff or something. But like, imagine taking that sequence of horror and putting it into Madeline as an adult trying to look after what we know to be Bond's daughter, like just a thought experiment. Mm. Uh, that mm. could have been quite interesting. I'm not sure how to f- figure that in, but uh, yeah, maybe as a finale sequence as opposed to an initial sequence. But I, I don't disagree with you. It's a really, really chilling and well done, like very. And and also the fact that they managed to take that small bit of dialogue from Spectre about, you know, uh, Madeline's familiarity with how to use a weapon and really just made this short little film out of probably two yeah. or three lines of dialogue. And I think it it's, it's brilliantly done. Um, it's very tonally different to the rest of the film, but um, yeah, it's one of, it's, it's sort of, I think it's, uh, it's one of my favorite parts of it. Yeah. Mm. And originally Sapin wasn't alone in the title sequence, but they cut that as well. They, they changed their mind at the last minute. Didn't have him with his buddies. It is Which better. I think, yeah. it. I think yeah. that's a better. Yeah, it's some. Sometimes one crazy guy in a mask is way more frightening than you know yeah. a bunch of goons. And this whole thing, you know, for ages we were like poring over this. Is he? Is he Doctor No? Does he have his right. heart on the other side of his of his chest? Is this a literary reference? How is he alive? Is the is the thing that they've been, you know, growing, is that somehow keeping him young because he looks the same age? There were all of these stupid questions going off in my mind. Which- I don't think they were stupid questions. I think they were left when they were writing it on the hoof and shooting it on the hoof. I think they left those doors open for themselves if they wanted to use them later. Right, but they but then they also didn't closed those doors or they opened other doors that contradicted the doors that they'd already left open. And so it was like walking through a madhouse, you know, like one of those, like, like something from Freddie. Scaramanga's Scaramanga's funhouse. Yeah. You're just, you're opening doors and it all just leads into different worse corridors. Um, But yeah, I, I think that's the, the kind of the, also the beauty of this film. Are we, are, are we saying we're unhappy that there is so much am, ambiguity in it? Or is it good that there's ambiguity in it because it gives us something to talk about for the next, you know, 10 years before they make another film? That's a deliberate thing or not. But, I mean, uh, yeah, I think it, there's, def- you, there's, there's a lot of meat still on this bone to pick over and... um. I think you know we'll we'll be we'll be examining this this film for for a long time to come. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one that you know even a year a year has gone by since I I'd seen it, and um, it's even more entertaining in a way. Um, it's kind of camper in a way than I remembered it. Um, is that, I mean, I feel the same way as you, Ben, but is it because any expectations that we had going into it were clearly not met one way or another, good or bad, but now mm-hmm. we live with it and it, it sits better because yeah. we've, we've accepted it for what well, it is, I, I, this I, is what we thought it would be. 
as you know, yeah. James, I was I was a very vocal. Um, uh, <laughs> I I. I, I I believed that it was an excellent film when it came out. I I said so in my review, <laughs> and I stand by it. Um, this time, I, I genuinely do. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I don't know, it, but I think it is. I think it is getting almost m- more enjoyable as as I I take further step back from it. It's mm. certainly more easy to digest because you know what's going to happen. Mm. I think I think that's how I would describe it because I got to the end and when I first saw it and I got to the end, I was literally just shell shocked, and then I was <laughs> and then for about three months I was just mad. I was just mad, <laughs> mad, mad, <laughs> and then and then now, you know, upon especially. You know, just rewatching it for this podcast, I was like, okay, a lot of this is enjoyable. <laughs> and it's just now it's just the very, very end that I'm just like, ah, oh, why you gotta, why you gotta do that? Why you gotta yeah. ruin it? <laughs> why you gotta ruin the party? The party foul. <laughs> it, I, um, sorry, it, Natalie. Yeah. If I can throw something in just in terms of the cocktail and the style, I'm not sure where this exactly yeah. fits. I always forget the categories because of my goldfish brain that I mentioned. Um, the the I think where it soars is in when Daniel Craig does the Bond that he does best, which is maybe a bit of a facile way of saying it. But I'm just thinking of the sequence in the forest where he right. you know, sets up traps for all those assassins and just you know one man against un, un, unseeable but oncoming enemies kind of thing and he just dispatches them with that cold logic and then and also at the start of the film when he has vespa in the db uh nine db5 he's thinking about vespa that's why i'm thinking about vespa but i have a bone to pick about that but um the the you know he he thinks that she's betrayed him and they're they're surrounded by goons. They're shooting at the car. The bulletproof glass is going to collapse at some point. Madeline is freaking out, and Bond is just <sighs> taking his time and being mad and not speaking. And then eventually, she says, "Do something, do something," and he says, "Okay." And then he acts. So it's it's in those moments with the cocktail of Bond, like Craig's particular Bond of I am really mad right now, but I'm still going to act. To protect you, like his his weird, you know, logic, his his loyalties and stuff uh, kick in, or his his instincts kick in, uh, and that's where the movie, in my mind, kind of that that's the the, the prose to it, um, you know, and that's why f- partly for me the the end is so odd because it's like no bond, and I get its character development that he's able to let go and not not you know need to make that escape or, or or he switches his instincts off basically to accept the inevitable i get it i get it but it's still james bond and i i like when he's able to go right this is all screwed up i'm going to get us out of here sort of thing um yeah am i rambling i might be rambling no <laughs> <laughs> those those are the moments of the we'll, real we'll put, in, we'll put that under the bond category then yeah it, of bond like it that those are the ones that will be hopefully in like the clip packages and in the and 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 also it you talk about being a year on from the film my 
way of looking at it now. And it's really interesting that with my own personal recapping of all, all the Bond films, we, we did a podcast, but I always I also did a companion recaps. I, I didn't get to the Craig era. I, I sort of Die Another Day was my last one. And then just, you know, the pandemic started easing, life started happening and I didn't go back. And I think partly it's because I have to look at all of these as one story split into five right. parts almost. And and so No Time to Die, although I have, you know, personal problems with it and they killed James Bond, but in the context of what started in Casino Royale and what they chose to do with Casino, because I think they could have taken a very different path after Casino Royale um, and, and had that as a great setup to a series of Bond adventures. Instead, they did this kind of continual story thing. And so No Time to Die really does in its own way, finish that story, which is, I guess, is what Craig wanted to do. He wanted to have a big arc. Yeah. And so if you look at them all as one separate thing that kind of sits outside the rest of the Bond universe, I can see how, you know, it kind of all works well enough together. The, the, right. they, that's, a created... that's a good idea for an article, that is, Natalie. Oh, is Some it? <laughs> oh yes okay i will all right all right so you so my article about all the potential next bonds ranked by how hot i think they are you you want me to put that to the back burner and do like a proper one instead <laughs> oh no no that's I, gotta come i really want an excuse to just man ogle because i'm a feminist <laughs> and uh <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's 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 it as a five part series that sits in its own Bond world. They've created their own cocktail. Um, maybe call it the Vesper. Ah. Yeah. yeah, okay. I take your, I take that on board, Nelly. That the the ingredients that people, I I got this Bond cocktail idea from like the name of a special feature on the World Is Not Enough DVD, where they kind of uh-huh. like own it that these that there are these ingredients in every film and they differ yeah. the, the the combination changes but the ingredients stay the same yes and i agree with maybe you. I think- maybe that does not apply for the craig era uh, or maybe they're slightly it, different it, it doesn't it doesn't like i i totally agree like a good bond movie has those things in working together in harmony, you know, whether it's a bit more of the girls, a bit less of the gadgets or vice versa, whatever, but they're all there. And, yeah, the Craig era has them all, but it also has this sort of um, it's like the bartender has really worked hard to give your palate a specific uh, sensual journey. <laughs> like a tasting menu. Um, that's right. It's a degustation, <laughs> so yeah. it's different. Yeah. It's like a yeah, the the paired the paired wines with a meal or something right. like that. Like it's very no, we are we are telling you where this is going to go, or we're making you feel these things. So, and they do a good job of it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, they do. All right. So this next category will be interesting. I'm going to love to hear what you've got to say on this one. Underappreciated element. Uh, what thing, big or very small, would you like to bring to people's attention next time they watch No Time to Know? Can I, can I, yeah, can I say can. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I don't know if she's underappreciated because I think everyone probably agrees that she's, she's a she's stellar She's very part. much appreciated yeah. and I know where this is going, but you can still yeah, do it Paloma, anyway. Um, she just has, she in general is great, but I just want to highlight her facial expressions. She just has the most glorious, um, 
there's no guile. She's what she's feeling is on her face, and she looks at one point. I, I remember her looking at the Russian scientist after you know Bond has been spotlighted by Blofeld in another incredibly impractical plan to kill him. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, kudos though. That is a very impractical plan. I should be I should be saying in terms of cocktail ingredients, Blofeld's attempts to kill Bond in outrageous ways definitely uh, at the party was good. Uh, but the Russian scientist looks at her and seems to think she's there for him, you know, to help him. And she just gives him like this, what? Who, what? Yeah. what are you say? Like she just has the most beautiful facial expressions and, and very, she's so glamorous and so like impossibly beautiful. And then her face just is like, what? You know, or, or when she's taking drinks and like just super knocking back a drink and going, ah. And, and when she looks at Bond and, and he's kind of like sizing her up and she looks at him and laughs and is like, no, thanks. You know, she, every, everything is on her face. And so, yes, she's kick-ass and somehow manages to do all of that physical work with no bra and a very low-cut dress. And, I again, gentlemen, tape. I know there would be tape involved, but still, you know, the, the, <laughs> like, the ability of that woman to I'm, – I'm so jealous of women <laughs> – Women who can do so much with with no um, cleavage support is um is is breathtaking. <laughs> or breathtaking, uh, if you watch fun. Um, but yeah, so Anna de Armas's facial expressions, uh, I would highlight there. I'm glad we're going with that and not bra support. So okay, under <laughs> I remember when they announced this film in. April, I think. I forget which year, but I remember it was in April. And they did the live stream and they announced the cast and they got to Anna de Armas and literally, I think 90% of the people who watched their live stream was like, who? Mm. Ah. And are you for real? Like, seriously? Because um, when they asked her the question, well, what will you be doing in this movie? She kind of like embarrassedly giggled and said, I don't know, have you got any ideas, Carrie? Because they hadn't written the part yet at that point. Oh, no. (laughs) and I don't think a lot of people knew who she was. Mm. And yeah, now I everybody didn't. knows. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Craig did because they just finished filming Knives Out, right? Um, so he knew the talent that was there, but nobody else did. So what was funny also, when you say underappreciated Anna de Armas is to this day, I think if you go to IMDb and you look at the star meter for the cast, she's the number one person in this movie. Mm. Really? Yeah. Well, she's now Marilyn Monroe in that blonde right. movie. I, just to follow on, um, really, from what you both have, have been saying, um, my I guess what my unappreciated um, aspect of the film, I was just going to say, is the women in the film. Um, because I think, um, you know, Lea Sadu has had, um, you know, some, some criticism, um, laid at her but i think her performance in this was just really fantastic you know i just yeah. I, I loved her in that um in the pre-titles um you know when she she's getting on the train it's just it's hard it's kind of heartbreaking um and so yeah i think i think she's sort of unfairly uh, maligned and uh yeah lashana lynch as well it's, um I think she's fantastic. Um, really, a, a great um, addition to the film. A, a fantastic sort of new 007. Um, I thought she was great, and 
yeah. Uh, so I, I think we've got some really um, mm. strong, uh, strong women in there. Yeah. I mean, before, the, before anybody's seen the film, the Shine Lynch being the new 007 was like the biggest thing that everyone was talking about, right? And it was the focus of a lot of like angry white men on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, after the film came out, it, it, her part, I think, gets a little bit buried in everything yeah, else going on. Like, if you, if you had asked me, like, the top five things that happen in the film, I don't think she'd make the top five of things <laughs> that happen in the film. If anything, I feel like both her and Anna de Armas it's just so underused, even though they're yeah. two of the best parts of the whole movie. Mm. Like mm. they, they are these like shiny, awesome bits in this movie that are just there for what feels like a fraction of, I mean, Nomi is there f- through the whole movie, but she's just not there enough. I feel like, like when it was kind of stitching the, you know, the, the Norway stuff together and it was just like, here I am in a car. Yeah, right. Uh, just, in, in a like, CGI car. <laughs> yeah. I'm not actually here. <laughs> and, and nor are you. Yeah. It, the whole thing is so super weird. That, but it, it's the way, it's part of that sort of odd logic of it, isn't it, Ben? Where they, they kind of like, she's she's in it throughout, but is, is there kind of any, re, you know, she just appears. Yeah. <laughs> I almost mind. wish that there was more of that, like, almost like a buddy cop type of right. uh, thing going on between her and bond. I would have loved to have seen more of, of them working. You yeah. Know, we only get it together. right at the end for a little bit. Yeah. It's like, let's double down and like recreate the die another day poster. Except <laughs> with Nomi. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, how, how often do you actually get two double O agents working together? You've seen it with golden eye, right? And that's, and then you know in in um this and that's it isn't it yeah yeah so so it would be nice to have seen a little bit more kind of maybe the opening the opening sequence living daylights oh you're right well it's only a training mission (laughs) and technically in die another day miranda frost is an mi6 agent Technically, yeah, yeah, but she's not. She's not a, a double O, is she? She's just, uh, you know, True. she's she's just been pr- like. What happened was Carter got fired, right? <laughs> and she 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 rose up in the ranks uh, from <laughs> uh, from helping him with making the tea. <laughs> Carter was on teas, and she was on those little sandwiches. And they push them around on a trolley, and then that, the next the next rank above that is field agent. Right. <laughs> All right. Ben, uh, Ben's underappreciated element. If you'd um, like to jump on. Yeah, um, I just think um, this one was this one was tough for me, but I think for me, and I don't know if they're all Phoebe Waller Bridge ads, but some of the punch up dialogue I actually really like in this movie. Like I, like I love the little, you know, pot shot where he says, where'd you find the book of Mormon? Um, Mm -hmm. or, or the, the moment where, um, he's at Madeline's house and she, she says, come here, I want to show you something. And he says, is it another child? Yeah. Like, like those little moments, like I love that stuff or, or, uh, or even towards the end where he's talking to where Bond is talking to Q and he says, I had to show him what show him your watch. And even though that's kind of a very typical Bond thing, 
yeah. like Q's, Q's follow-up is just so flat and like almost didn't even like hear what he said. He's like, that's great, Bond. Now do this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. for me, it was just those little like punch-up moments. I feel like everything I like in this movie are things that were almost afterthoughts that got jammed in there at the last minute. And I actually want more of those things than I do a lot of the bigger. Right. Right. Mm. Just on the back of what um, Ben was saying there, it, it does have that very kind of like very British Paddington vibe Mm. in places and kind of a warm, you know, cup of Earl Grey and, you know, that kind of, so yeah. it's slightly upper class uh, or at least upper middle class kind of comfort snobbery. I don't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so yeah. speaking of trivia, um, would you like to share a fact or tidbit about the film that you find particularly interesting? All right, I'll go. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel like this movie has been combed over so much, so I don't know how obscure this yeah. really is or, you know, but um, I was reading that uh, David Densick, who plays Valdo, um, did the stunt where they where they jump down the elevator shaft with the little magnets that stop them at the bottom. Um, and obviously, it's just a cable that's attached to Densick's harness, but apparently it was still quite jarring. And he was quoted as saying, not much acting was involved in that stunt because there was a real drop and I did it seven or eight times. It was uncomfortable each and every time. <laughs> Man, he felt, a, the, he felt the squeeze. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. They couldn't. They couldn't do a hastily CGI'd face on a stunt person. <laughs> Just, you know. On that note, uh, here's a bit of trivia for you. Um, they couldn't get Christoph Waltz to do more than the two days or, or something he had in the schedule, so they had to build fake rubber heads of his of his makeup being dead so they could shoot the other scenes of him being dead in the chair without him actually being there. Oh, wow. So, wow. so they had to go to all that expense to build the prosthetic Blofeld because they couldn't get him to be at Pinewood for long enough. Right. It's wow. yeah. At some point, Craig, Craig acted against Robert Blofeld. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's, it's really such a, such a, a way to underuse Christoph Waltz, you know, like the fact that you've got a rubber head as a stand-in, it's it's fairly. (laughs) What does that say about the performance? Mm. Um, Kind of tells me everything I need to know. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, I I would like to know. It's this is not so much me telling a piece of trivia, but asking you gentlemen for trivia because you're better placed to know. Because Danny Boyle was going to be the original director wasn't well, he, was he or... they spent 17 million dollars on that film that never got made hmm. okay see this is the trivia i want to know what what happened there what's the story oh it's another podcast but but in, in short um he brought in his <laughs> they, they he brought they... in his own writer john hodge to write a completely different film they started building sets including a gulag in russia which was actually in canada which is why there's a canadian tax credit on the end of the film and uh some big rockets at pinewood and they had to take it all apart and uh, go back to Purvis and Wade's script and, and, and redo that. So wow. they, literally start, they literally started a completely different film and was like, boop, and, re- and start again. 
So what was Daniel Craig not happy with it? What, how did how did these things get started? Cre- creative differences, darling. You know this in, in the arts. Mm. Creative differences. Yeah, I, I just which the, the which the criticism is. Why enter into starting a film and working together if you haven't sorted out what you're going to do first? Yes, yes. Yeah. And also, like, I mean, I guess that Daniel Craig has so much power with that particular oh, wow. character. <laughs> Um, it, yeah, it's more, it's more just interesting that he, he has that power to, to bring in Phoebe Waller-Bridge to change, to say this is not right. And, and, and no doubt the decision to kill Bond off must have been Craig's pushing oh, yeah, for that. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And, yeah. and the time when Danny Boyle left, the rumours in the tabloids were that it was Danny Boyle's idea to kill him off and that's why he had to quit the project. It's like, couldn't be more wrong. Yeah. Uh, Oh, there's always a grain of truth in these rumors, isn't there? It's just mm-hmm. gets twisted around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's really interesting. I, I, yeah, I find all that kind of stuff really fascinating. That it's it's such a, a hotbed of of potential. So I, I wonder if when they pick the next Bond, they get someone who's not quite as famous as Daniel Craig, although maybe he became famous because of Bond even more so and that's what gave him power. But, Mm. yeah. The the other thing I have that puzzles me is, like, they had a completely different story in mind for this and then changed their minds. Mm. I feel like both parties should have known what they were getting into. Right. It it just (laughs) it boggles the mind that, you know, they didn't take into account well this is exactly what daniel craig wants and he's probably just gonna say well if you don't do this i leave so you know well quite yeah and and that and that's why there was that, that big sale on huge rockets in the pinewood area <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. oh man that would be so great i own an unfulfilled prop item from a bond movie that's right never never seen on screen that's right. And um, um, you often find those things knocking around as well, like clipboards. Or My mu- house is full of them. Yeah. Stuff that was never in a Bond film. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. I've got to come visit you guys, man. It's um, got to happen. I've got to do I, my James Bond and Friends tour of uh, North America. Oh, there I, you go. I don't have. A single, I don't think I have a single. Oh no, I tell a lie. I have a. No, I think your house is also full of things that were never in a Bond film as well, then. That's right. My, <laughs> my, 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 my one concession in my office to, to Bond is that I have a no time to die tote bag hanging up <laughs> on, on, on the door. What's your trivia, man? Um, well, it's not really trivia. And then I, uh, it, it sort of boils down to kind of my annoyance at the whole Garden of Death and the way that that idea was kind of taken and then abandoned um and i rather liked initially the you know i remember being in the cinema about this time um a year ago and thinking that yeah this is really great because this is actually gonna um mirror some of fleming's ideas here and it's gonna kind of interweave that and they just i think completely mishandled what this substance was it it had it was as confusing as the black goo was in in you know prometheus and it it could do all of these multiple 
different things and you know the way it was transmitted or the way you know i just, it, it didn't it didn't make any kind of real sense would, would it make more sense to you then if i told you that in pre-production the concept art companies were tasked with making it a virus and then very late in they changed it to be nanobots and that makes so much so much more sense within the, so the context of it. Yeah. So, so bioengineering in the beginning, and they switched it to nanobots. Yeah. It should Can't have, imagine and why. Then, and then it should have had. Which is probably just for the best, garden. considering what happened, right? Yeah. Saffin's garden at the end should have then been, you know, the the genesis. The, the, it should have been uh, filled with whatever plant well, it was. To... Well, our friend from this podcast, Sean Longmore, had a, had a, came across a great theory of his, which was that the nanobots were just um, an extension of the smart blood program under MI6. Yeah. Yeah, well, that does sort of make sense. Which, the, it was staring them in the face to use that as the plot. Yeah. That would have been a sense. But I just think I'd love to be able to fly on the wall when, you know, like, the, you know, the pandemic kicked off and there was a meeting with MGM and everything and they were like, shit, well, we're going to have to delay the film now because of the virus. And they were like, aren't we glad we changed that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. To nanobots. Mm, it could have been interesting though. But they still kept they still kept half of it was like it was stolen from a bio lab. Right. right. Where they were yeah. housing like Well that's what I mean, is that could have been the smart bullet program, right? Gone wrong or like taken too far, right? Yeah. Oh man. It's just yeah. would have made more sense. Yeah, would have made sense. So my little piece of trivia is, uh, we mentioned this on the watch along, but I know, I, I think a lot of people avoided that because of the spoilers and stuff, but, uh, Nomi is not her first name. It's actually her last name. Hmm. Oh. And her first name starts with an M, but we don't know what it is. And if you don't believe me, uh, you can cue the movie up to the graphics at the end where bonds, they're looking at bonds, vital signs on the smart blood. And it says um, Bond, comma J, and it says Nomi, comma M. So yeah. they break they break the male female convention of Bond movies of male characters being known by their surnames and, and female characters being known by their first names, and they turn that on its head because she's a double O agent. And they call her after her last name, but it's never made. You know, they never make a big fuss of it in the film. But I thought it was interesting that they kind of flip that convention. Mm. Yeah. So somewhere, you know, she's called M something. Mm. <laughs> I thought it was just a randomly assigned letter. I letter. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very good. All right. Uh, okay, this is going to be spicy. Um, final verdicts uh, are saying on this podcast is there are no bad James Bond films, but there are some ones that we watch more than others. So would you place No Time to Die in your top, middle, or bottom tier, and why? Uh, I, I think, may I start? Um, for me, and I think I said this in my review, it, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, The Empire Strikes Back, which I know has no meaning for you, James. No, uh, is that one of those star movies? It is, yeah. <laughs> um, but tonally, you know, it, it, it sort of sits in a sort of a similar place for me, but it, but it also requires knowledge of other films so mm. that's kind of how i feel about this i think it's um 
I think it's an amazing film that that the bookends beautifully Craig's era with Casino Royale and enhances it and makes it so much better than if it had uh, merely ended with Spectre. Um, it really makes it a kind of a, you know, even even though it was a kind of re- retroactively kind of turned into a, a, a you know, a multi-film art, um, they've they've done a really nice job of it now because of that film. So, but as a as a standalone um, film, it's it's hard to kind of extrapolate some of that that from it, you know, or, or sorry, or take that from it um but it is a nonsense movie and (laughs) um it doesn't make a lot of sense and it has a lot of dream logic you just pop in at places and it's just bonkers there's a tea tray in a military you know (laughs) I, i love it and and but for that reason it doesn't really necessarily i think we're gonna go sort of um top tier but but maybe maybe sort of number god yeah maybe not sort of number five or something like that um all right all right top tier then yeah yeah okay i think i'd have to put it middle tier and it's really hard with the craig ones because you know the the action and the production and the the effects and the beauty of the cinematography they're all so good uh you know, you certainly can't rank it in the bottom on those elements. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess my ambivalence but in, 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 the, in the level of dust on the DVD shelf, Natalie. Where does yes, this? Because that's right. what we kind of do. It's like how many how many times would you be like, that's the one I'm going to watch tonight. I think it's going to be like top middle bunch. I think it's going to be like lower middle, top mm. of low. <laughs> like it's going to be further down. Like top of the bottom. Craig, I, yeah, top of bottom or bottom of middle is probably where it's going to go for me because yeah. I, I, of the Craigs, I'm going to rewatch Casino Royale. I'm going to rewatch Skyfall, Quantum of Solace. If it flashes on TV, okay, cool. It has its moments. Spectre just makes me angry. Uh, <laughs> no time to die. It's like, do I want to watch? Jo- and I think that's why I haven't really revisited it you know, before this podcast, even though I've, I've been meaning to do a deep dive with Stu because to, to kind of finish our James Bond podcast, we, we wanted to do a really big deep dive and we just haven't done that yet. And I think part of my, uh, the fact that I haven't done that is just, uh, I don't want to watch James Bond die. Mm. Even though that's just a tiny bit at the movie at the very yes, end, there's a whole. Switch, switch off before the end. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's like I should treat it like the the way my mother treated The Sound of Music when we were kids. So we were always allowed to watch The Sound of Music until the Nazis took over and uh, and then we went to bed. <laughs> it's, it's all right. I'm sure somebody out there has, um, you know, CGI'd in a well, jet pack. It, and- it, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like. It's kind of like when movies are edited to be watched on a plane and they take all the plane crashes out, right? That's mm. right. Or when I think he should just – his suit – Or Richard Branson's. His, his shoulder pads on his, on his top or whatever, right? He should just – something should pop out and they'll jet him away. You know, the, oh, the wristwatch wasn't just for that bond. And then off he goes. No, I don't. <laughs> 
Well, you know, the comes um... out and then he falls to his death. (laughs) 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 I just got your hopes up. It was a malfunctioning piece of equipment that took him out in the end. Um, No, or like in The World Is Not Enough, you know, when he has that jacket that turns into a giant Zorb ball? Just something like that. Protective, a protective ball, a protective sphere. I'm sure physics will have no issue with that. (laughs) (laughs) James Bond has always bent physics to his will. That's his superpower. That's true. That's true. All right. Uh, Ben. It's probably appropriate that I'm (laughs) giving this last because much like the movie, I'm going to end this on a down note. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If I was to if I was to put this in a tier based on technical merit, it would probably Mm. be close to the top. Mm. But that's that's not how I rate, you know, Bond movies. And and, you know, you were talking before about how much dust is going to be on the DVD. I have literally watched my, my Blu-ray twice since I got right. it. Um, you know, despite a fantastic pre-title sequence and beautiful photography and a pretty good soundtrack and even better sound design. Um, yeah. This, oh, yeah. <laughs> this movie feels like when a football team spends an insane amount of money during the transfer window on players only for it to all not add up to a whole lot. Like they don't even like they barely make Europa League or something. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and I end up just I'm mostly numb to it. I'm, there's there's kind of a limit to how much magic hour footage I actually <laughs> that I actually want to see. It's um, magic feel- two two isn't it? Yeah, it just it feels so overpolished. It's it like everything is overdone for me. Um, but but essentially, it all does come down to the ending. I mean, and you know, and as I said before, the villains don't make sense. Is James Bond really just going to give up and let the missiles obliterate him, despite there being an obvious out? Like at the end of the day, do I want to watch a movie where James Bond dies and I walk what's, away just what's, feeling what's, depressed? Like I don't. That's it's. I not... missed the out. What's the out? What's that? What's what? What's the out? Well, the the out. I, it just it seemed like he had plenty of time to get off the island before well, the missiles hit. The, like, the other the, out is the Royal Navy, who has, whose ships are designed to destroy the ships could have just shot down the ships versus the base but he can't leave he can't leave the island i know but they could have figured something out but he could have bought himself some time i think is ben's point isn't it right yeah i mean it, it really yeah, feels the artificial like artificial clock tick tock is just yeah. yeah it just did not feel like like that like that was the only way that you know those those bay doors were going to stay open or whatnot if is if he was there i just i was I just don't buy it. And so, and it's James Bond. I mean, <laughs> he would have figured like, I just feel like he would have figured out a way, but regardless, it, it's, it's more just the fact that I don't want to walk away from a James Bond movie feeling depressed. And so, yeah, I mean, hell, those- if, if, if Roger Moore can get from hanging off the back of a portcullis to being in Mayday's bed in three seconds, <laughs> <laughs> the, other, the other thing you about that, that whole, you're, you're right, Ben, is that the other thing about that whole ending sequence is that the the countdown clock is almost imaginary. 
right? Yes. It's arbitrary. It doesn't yeah. really exist because they don't have to press the missile button when they press it. You know, it's not like this stuff is being launched into the atmosphere. It's just being loaded onto some. You know, boats. maybe you should have kept those rockets from Danny Boar's movie. Yeah, man, keep the rockets. But it made more <laughs> sense. Are, uh, on my eBay account um, right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, so I think you're winding up, Ben, to say that this was not going to be in the top or the middle, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's not. It's it's in the bottom tier, just based on right. for me, based on how often I'm going to want to watch this. It's mm -hmm. it's going to be in the bottom tier for me. So I'm sure somebody on Twitter will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first out of all 25 that we've done that we've actually had a top, middle, and a bottom. Yeah, That's but I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> very sexy arrangement there. There you go. Can I just say one thing about the death too? Um, it's, well, sort of in, it's sort of implied, well, it's sort of implied that Bond, there's no point to living uh, if you can't feel if alive. If you can't feel alive. There yeah, you go. that aside, um, he, he's got a woman that he loves and now a child, but he won't be able to touch them, and so there's no point living. That's or, kind of Or anybody. Um, yeah. I mean, you could just stay on the island and pay child support. He could, like, oh. Because it, it, it sort of said <laughs> in the movie that, like, it will eventually get around to the that person right like all the, oh, I whole, see. wasn't yeah. that the whole thing with all those distant family members uh, yeah and, but you know what we can we can come up with a a vaccine for a novel coronavirus in less than in, in 18 months i think they could figure something out yeah, yeah. Oh, james they had it already just like right. they faked the moon landing <laughs> <laughs> And I know that James, it was on the shelf ready to go, right? I know that James Bond wouldn't want to necessarily stay cooped up in a glass cage like Blofeld or something, you know, just to avoid, you know. No, but he was willingly staying in a North Korean jail for 18 months. So what's the difference? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, <laughs> Maybe uh, um, really like smoking. I wonder if they were trying to make a point that, you know, Madeline was raised by her mother, not Mr. White, and the, so therefore she's a good person. So if Matilda is raised by her mother and not her, you know, super assassin father, she'll be oh, okay. a person. And they, uh, and I should also point out that her mum was a, a horrific drunk. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, the yeah. best guidance you want to that's be. A, that's All a right. good point. Um, I'm just, yeah, I, I, it was just a thought of like, is that what they're trying to get across is that, you know, a, a mm. life with a, mega assassin father is not going to end probably yeah i would imagine so yeah i guess there's a there's a an element of 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 that um which is a shame in a sense because that was the whole damien green speech about wither and die right everything he touches and that's mm. maybe well that's yeah. you know it's it's sort of yeah. a shame to sort of imply that you know men can't be um as killers and fathers nurturing. yeah Mm. on that bum note uh <laughs> it's been a great end to this series the 25 weeks of 25 films and um if you listen to this this week no time to die is back in uk cinemas it never left um if you missed it for whatever reason uh, or you can't remember go see it on the big screen again 
Uh, or you really yeah. hate if you really hate the James Bond franchise and you want to see him turfed up, maybe this is your ultimate movie, you know? Or vote with your feet and stay home and they can, let's look at those box office numbers for the re-release. Oh, that's um, a good point, yes. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, two hours and 45 minutes of sunsets. So, <laughs> Whatever else, it is a beautiful-looking film. Yes. So, it is, um, yeah, it really is. Yeah, go and feast yeah. your eyes, if nothing else. And yes. get really um, angry about the fact that apparently Vespa was only 23. Like, what the right. hell? What the hell, guys? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I actually had that written down on my <laughs> yeah, but I I bottled it. How does a twenty-three-year-old get a high-powered job in treasury, overseeing millions of pounds? Right, and can also be played date, date, by date a thirty-eight-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, yeah. like, they made her younger than her. Her act, the, the act, Eva Green, you know, like by yes. two years or whatever it was, and it's like, why, why not? I, and in my opinion, she. I mean, this is a, this is a separate argument, but in my opinion, she was always playing older anyway. Yes. Right. So it it felt yeah. like a deliberate. Well, it was deliberate. Obviously, it was deliberate because they made the made the gravestone. Yeah. So it or felt really uncomfortable. <laughs> She struck me as being 29, 30. That's the youngest yeah. I will give that character. And she was a bit younger than that, I think, at the time. So, right. yeah, Eva Green was. Because she, yes. I think she's the same age as me. Um, same age as me too. Yeah. yeah. But, she's, but, she's, but she's playing 29, 30, right? That's, That's right. Yeah. You've got to have a little bit of time and experience to get a high-powered job in Treasury, overseeing millions of pounds, and also be that sassy. No one's well, that I don't sad. know. With this new conservative government we got, they just give money to any fucker in these days. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it's weird times over this there. This has been a party political broadcast. <laughs> yeah. UK it always is with me, James. It, it's yeah. real weird. It's real weird with those politics in the UK. It's a very strange place. Yeah. Uh, maybe she just was friends with an MP or something. Who knows? That right. is true. Um, on that note, it's been a fun series. Thanks, everybody who's taken part. And we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week for something completely different. Maybe we'll talk about the books or something. All right. That sounds fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Natalie. And thank you, Ben, as well. Thank um, you. Our pleasure.